Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur. Are we the Tragedy Brothers now? Because it feels like every time <laughs> we get together to do this thing, there's either a permacloud or we have Titanic Part 2. I don't know. But what's up? <laughs> Listen, we just we cover what's going on in the world. That's right. You know, and uh, some t- some weeks are better than others. Let's just say that. <laughs> uh, I'm sure a bunch of good stuff did happen this week. Maybe that's how we have to counteract it, Denny. Is we like w- what's uh something we can bring in every week to shine some positivity on something? Do you remember during the pandemic when we just do like the optimistic episode? Yeah, where we like had to be optimistic. <laughs> I say, I say, from now on, I didn't prepare anything for this one, but moving forward, let's do a little like optimist corner of the, you know, like like we'll take five minutes after the bummers and each present a story that that doesn't make you want to kill yourself. A hundred percent. But did you? How obsessed were you this week with this? Uh, with this. Uh, Oh my god, submarine story. With the submersible. I yeah. was more obsessed than I usually am yeah. with news stories and with things like this. And it actually made me think a lot, especially with people, you know, kind of quickly and if in my opinion crudely sort of, you know, judging the character of the people in this submersible and how much they deserved what happened. Uh, was a fairly ugly turn that this whole thing took. But I think the reason I was so obsessed with it is because it's literally my worst fucking nightmare. You know, the idea of being stuck in a small submarine with no windows at the bottom of the sea uh, and running out of air, food, water, you know, God knows with the bathroom or whatever like that. You know, and then just that general concept of like, oh, who's going to be the last one who has to just sit there and die while staring at four other people that died? So because it was like some sort of bizarre being buried alive crypto fantasy, I think that's why I was kind of like glued to it. And like, you know, and then just a world that I know nothing about that you quickly within a week know a lot about. You know, like like what did I know about deep sea, uh, you know, adventurers and their and the the tools they use to get down there and the bureaucracy that's inside of it? You know, like like I didn't know a goddamn thing about it until this happened. So it was a fascinating story, and it's really sad what happened. Um, I I was hoping for you know one of those baby Jessica kind of outcomes and then didn't pan out, you know, but I am in the end, I am glad that it wasn't a situation that was long and prolonged and it was quick and, you know, but I, uh, yeah, I, I was, I was, uh, morbidly obsessed with it as, as everybody else was. For those of you that were not online, not watching news, first off, big shout out to you. You're living a healthy like like yeah, imagine if there's somebody yeah. who's not like on social media, not watching the news, but it's then like, they, like, into the tune up to see what's going on. <laughs> but uh a submersible submarine owned by Ocean Gate. And this isn't even the main part of the show. This is a little appetizer before we get into the meat and potatoes of what we're doing here. But a submarine owned by the Ocean Gate Company went down to explore the Titanic, um, taking high net worth in individuals for them, I believe, down on their ocean liner uh, to you know peruse the ruins of the Titanic. And uh, it, well, rather than me explain it and my half understanding of it, Let me let a guy who may know a thing or two about the Titanic, maybe because he directed the movie, let me let James Cameron explain what the heck happened this week. Ocean Gate shouldn't have been doing what it was doing. I think that's pretty clear. I wish I had been more vocal about that, but I think I was unaware that they weren't certified uh, because I wasn't really studying it. I wasn't really interested. Stockton Rush asked me if I wanted to go out there and dive this season. You know, I wasn't interested. There was a lot of concern about this outfit and this sub. A lot of concern, even to the extent that I wasn't involved in it because I was making Avatar 2 at the time, but a lot of them got together and wrote a letter to uh, to Ocean Gate and said, you have to certify. 
You cannot take people down. It's irresponsible. And it could lead to catastrophe. Monday morning when I first found out about the incident, got on a whole bunch of calls and emails. It's a small community. Within an hour and a half, I had the following information. They were on descent. They were at 3,500 feet. They lost comms and tracking. The last one being the critical one. Because the, the transponder that's used to track a sub during descent and on the bottom is a fully autonomous system. It's in its own pressure housing and it has its own battery power. So for them to lose comms and tracking at the same time, sub was gone. And then when the sub was gone, it imploded upon itself. Just a, a unbelievable understanding from James Cameron about the tragedy of the week where four, four people perished. But what did you make of uh, what James Cameron had to say about the tragedy there, Benny? Yeah, I mean, again, like as I kind of just noted on is that like, you know, did I know who Stockton Rush was? Did I know what this company was like prior to this week? No. But it obviously seemed like somebody who went a little rogue off the industry thought they were kind of smarter than everybody else and needed this to do it. And and that was that, you know. Um, and, you know, if it was just uh, this guy and, and his team of adventurers that were using this submersible, I would say, who gives a shit? These people obviously don't care. They're trying to push the limit. Let them go for it. But when you get into the, uh, you know, the the market of taking passengers and taking people who have no expertise and it goes into a tourism thing, and obviously it should and has to be regulated on some level or else, you know, this would happen again. Um, so I think that was probably the biggest takeaway from from this, this week was... Uh, you know, what people actually uh, get away with on the fringes and what's safe and what's not safe and the kinds of risks you should be taking, you know. And especially as, you know, we want to have space tourism, deep sea tourism, all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a big area where uh, the federal government not doing a whole lot of regulating of, of the, as you say, people on the fringes. So, yeah, a a, a real story for our time where you know you think something is great is going to happen and then it just people's worst fears come to fruition we seem to be hearing a lot about that recently but optimism episode happy friday everybody yeah yeah good work <laughs> benny great lead <laughs> all right well with all that said benny do you want to get into i think a big bright spot in the week uh, sure i do it's this day music history. Well, in this day, in 2021, we're going to recent one. Yeah. Britney Spears asked a court to end her con conservatorship. Conservatorship. Which is great. Conservatorship. Yeah, yeah you got it. Which is controlled by her father. The conservatorship is doing me way more harm than good, she says. I deserve to have a life. Despite her plea, the request is denied. But this is, I think, when the, uh, the 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 Spears minions went to work, and uh, about five months later, the uh, conservatorship was terminated. So this is a positive story about Britney breaking free. This was a bizarre one, you know. Talk about something that I think most normal people have no concept of what happens behind the scenes with certain things. This was one of them. Cause I remember step-by-step step of this story, they'd be like, Oh, the father did this. And I'm like, you can do that. That's allowed to another person. Crazy. So, you know, that was another one that kind of, I think, uh, took off the blinders of a lot of people about what has happened in the past and what could happen to people. And, you know, good for her for finally, you know, getting to a point in her life that she stood up for it and, and took it back and good on the, the Spears minions for creating the uproar. Cause I know that was a big part of it. That was a big tune up story because, you know, they had like the whole documentary on like the tail end of COVID. So like we were still like yeah. watching a, a bunch of stuff and, you know, since that happened, she's uh she got back to the top of the charts with uh 
covering Elton John's Cold Cold Heart with him. So That's shout right. out to Brittany having the complete renaissance. I don't think she's toured yet, but I imagine that would be big when she decides to do that. She'll get out there when she can figure out a way to go bigger than Taylor. She'll do it. Oh, man, that's it's tough. It's, it's tough. tough. Tall order. Tall order. Oh, uh, well, let's just complete by talking about the uh, the holy trinity of uh, female pop stars, if you will. Madonna, your yeah. girl mm-hmm. on this day in 1990. Uh, 13-year-old Keith Sorrentino filed a uh, half-a-million-dollar lawsuit against Madonna, claiming he suffered nightmares and bedwetting problems after an incident outside Madonna's home when she allegedly flung him to the ground. Now, when I first read the story, I was like, there's no way if someone's standing outside Madonna's home, she's just going to come out and beat the shit out of them. So apparently, him and his sister were pursuing an autograph at her home in Manhattan, and they would not leave it alone he was 10 years old at the time of the incident. His sister, I think, two years older. And they just kept harassing her. And because apparently that's, I mean, like when you see like the paparazzi kind of doing that to Madonna, you're like, I can do it too. Tried to get the autograph. This happened in 1986. And yeah, so uh, this day in 1990, he filed the suit and they settled for $50,000. I'm wondering if this is part of the reason she she booked the league of their own part. You know, like they they're like, oh, she is. She is that tough. She beats people up, you know, all the way. May, baby. This was pre Tupac and her. Right. I believe Uh, you're you're even reminding me that that was a thing with with this. Yeah, I totally forgot. 1986. Wait, wait, wait. Madonna and Tupac. Yeah. yeah, A love affair. That was a thing. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Oh, imagine. Oh, I wish they had a child. Oh, my God, that'd be the most talented child. Yeah, that would be whoever that child was. There'd be a poster up in my room right now. (laughs) I don't even know what they're doing in this metaphorical future, but there would be a poster up in my room. You know, they they just dropped uh, the trailer this week for Elvis and Priscilla. We're getting a Priscilla side of the Elvis story directed by Sofia Coppola. Shout out to Lawson Translation there. I want to see the movie about Madonna and Tupac. Oh, come on. It's probably not much of a story, though. You'd have to, you'd have yeah. to, you'd have to get fictional with some of it. That's true, and especially after seeing the Whitney movie, I'm not sure how many of uh, these yeah. relationship stories I want to see. But. They should get shelved mostly. Uh, I did have a this day music history about the Beatles, but I think the news that they're making currently is yeah, we got go. We got enough Beatles. We got enough Beatles. Paul. Yeah. So Paul McCartney says there will be a new Beatles record. He said this last week. Uh, created from artificial intelligence, which is ooh. Uh, McCartney, one uh, one of the two living Beatles, said AI will be used to uh, take John Lennon's vocals from a previous recorded track and kind of soup it up, make it for the modern times. This caused backlash, as everything does. I don't know how much backlash is. You know, then you're coming on a little strong here with the backlash. There's <laughs> a lot of backlash. A lot of talk about optimism for no optimism. Oh, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. I see my industry getting ripped apart by artificial intelligence, and I got to come here and talk to you. Who All are right. you talking to? I've been fighting drum machines my, my entire life. Oh, all right. Don't I know? Uh, don't I know it? All right. Um, but Paul McCartney was kind of taken aback by this backlash, and he came in and said, "This, this is a a process we've been using with vocals for a very long time now. It's not exactly new, but the AI buzzword kind of made it a grab yeah, hole." Yeah. So, what do you uh, make of a? I thought that this was a very interesting story when it comes to people's catalogs and then selling them off and that artificial intelligence kind of coming in. Yeah, uh, yeah. What do you make of the story at hand and what it means for the business? I think old man Paul just said the wrong word. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. It's like, I don't think they used anything that's not being currently used all the time to clean up old tracks digitally and get them prepared to put into the modern systems. Cause you know, the thing you got to remember is like uh, you're not opening a track from the 70s and there's a Pro Tools file, you know, like you have to actually digitally convert these things over. You master them, you clean them up and you use all sorts of essentially artificial intelligence to do it. It just hasn't been called artificial intelligence. It's been called. So I think we ran into like uh, like a white privilege type of thing, which is like. He's using the exact 
appropriate word for what it actually is, but it's a word that people just can't get through their heads in the right way. So I think, I think this was like some version of like him just having oversized like buttons on his phone and everything. This is just an old man saying it wrong um, to me. Like yeah. that, that's what this means. And I'm still stoked to hear some unearthed track from, from John Levin in the seventies, especially with, you know, two members of the Beatles still being alive and overseeing it and it not being a total, you know, corporate corruption. So to me, all it was, was, was Sir Paul being a little out of touch with the terminology. He said, quote, to be clear, nothing has been artificially or synthetically created. It's all real and we all play on it. Uh, we cleaned up some existing recordings, a process which goes on for a few years. So shout yeah. out to him for uh, like auto tune is artificial intelligence. Yeah. You know, people have been using it and overusing it. If that was the case, Billie Eilish would be working at McDonald's right now. So this is, you know, I think that's all that's going on here. But, you know, and kind of brings to a larger point when it comes to the arts and artificial intelligence, because apparently this is a conversation we're going to have to have because big tech is in- insistent on the fact. I just saw the guy that created Reddit come out and say in a few years, uh, you won't even be able to like have movies because it's going to be so tailored to you that it's not going to. It's like, dude, take your pie in the sky, Silicon Valley ass out of this. And he- you want to know what he said was the purest form of entertainment. This made me laugh. He was like, sports is the only thing we have left. Be like, dude, get your picked last ass out. Wow. Of here. I'm, 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 I'm sick of this. We've never heard of a ref scandal. Yeah, huh? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. These days, too, that's kind of a crazy thing to say. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, just had, but the DraftKings revolution. That's a crazy 100%. thing to say. Yeah. But what do you think of, uh, you know, when it comes to people's catalogs? I mean, like we see like a, a guy like Huey Lewis in the news got to sell it for $20 million. When a, when companies like a BlackRock, like these hedge funds own it, uh, do you think that this kind of evaluates uh, and, and raises the valuation on these if uh, they're going to use it for different things in the future? Yeah, presumably. I, I would so. assume that's probably how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what to do with that shit, man. It's getting there and it's getting yeah. crazy. Let's yeah. just say that. It's getting very crazy. But we're the AI podcast, I think. Oh, man. I, we need to get an AI specialist, though. I don't know if if, if I want that, Noman. That's going to bring all sorts of, uh, you know, everybody, come on in. Yeah, Denny, listen. Warm. If Terminator taught me anything, it's you got to make friends with Skynet, okay? <laughs> So bring her in. They're probably listening right now. Yeah. And by podcast, I don't know, 185, it's just going to be, they'll know what we're going to say before we're going to say it. Yeah. You know, what would be funny is like, what if we all made a concerted effort to say one ridiculous thing every time we knew we were being monitored just to throw the AI off, you know, movie. Just be like every single tune up podcast, at least once, I say, I hate Jews. <laughs> what are you going to do with that, AI? You confused? <laughs> yeah, I bet you are. <laughs> I'm going to do this every time. Okay. All right. Well, let's keep it moving here. <laughs> let's, let's talk about Elvis and Priscilla because we haven't talked about okay. that enough. Especially, yeah. Priscilla Presley is surrendering control of her, her late daughter's estate to her granddaughter, Riley Coe. Uh, Riley Coe, uh, most famously uh, recent starred as Daisy Jones and Daisy Jones and the Six on Amazon, a coming in to be a star in her own right. Uh, this comes after the death of Lisa Marie on January yeah. 12th after suffering cardiac arrest. It's nice to see a peaceful transition of power here going from Priscilla uh, to Riley because um, she kind of shows a, a lockstep nature here because I feel like in the past when it comes to these estates and everything and Riley takes uh, control of like Graceland and all of the Elvis stuff. So very interesting stuff here. But it's nice to see a uh, peaceful transition of power uh, down there in Graceland. Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad like it got worked out in what seems to be a fairly amicable way. Um, I, you know, I didn't know. It was funny when we were doing research for this pod. I looked up Riley Coe and. I was like, oh, I know her, yeah. you know, and I didn't realize there was the connection to the Elvis thing before that. 
But again, like when I see stories like this and when we covered like, you know, the Marvin Gaye, Ed Sheeran thing like last week, it just it's like this shining light on the fact that like your whole thing gets fucked up when you die. You know, it really does. And to keep these things perpetually over time in the right hands with the right decisions being made. Shit. It's such a Sisyphean task that I can see more and more why, you know, towards the end of your life or something, you're just like, here, just give me the money. Cause this shit's just going to get fucked up anyway. And you're better off giving your family maybe like generational wealth than this kind of fucking bag of problems to deal with, you know? But if you're a artist, like it seems that Riley is, that, that's kind of nice IP to have in the IP era when you're going about trying to make moves in Hollywood. So if you were in her position and you had access to anything and all things Elvis, what would you try to do with it? Well, you know, I, have you ever been to Graceland? Uh, not in, but driven by. Okay, so when you go in, you know, you have full access to the house except for the upstairs. So you're not allowed in the bedrooms. You're not allowed in the upstairs. And there's a very, very short list of people that have been invited to the upstairs. Somehow, I think fucking Nick Cage is one of them. He always is. Um, And so, you know, if someone was trying to, like, play out Graceland or or, you know, cash in on something, they would like open up the upstairs for, you know, shooting films or like something like that. So maybe, you know, she's she's in Hollywood and having a great drunk night with Steven Soderbergh or something. And he pitches an idea about a, you know, a love scene in Elvis's bed. And she's like, yes, you know, so maybe that's where we could see it getting fucked up, opening up the upstairs. All right. Well, we'll see. You know, Elvis and Priscilla coming out next, as we said. But we'll, we'll see Soderbergh's uh, Graceland. I don't know whatever that would be, but looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, I'll fuck up that peanut butter and banana sandwich whenever. That thing was good. <laughs> All right. Well, so the next story, we had a bit of a pre-show controversy with this. I wanted to talk about Al Pacino having a baby at 83 because that's just pure. <laughs> yeah, it's fa- I mean, yeah, it's fairly entertaining. But we got to go with the entertainment business because apparently we're hard hitting journos over here. Um, Spotify and Megan and Harry have yeah. uh, terminated their deal. And, and this stuff got crazy o- over the past two weeks or so. So it, it, they had a $20 million deal with Spotify and they released just one show, and then the two agreed to part ways. So that was the first part of the story. And then, you know, we started to hear um, uh, through a bunch of different sources how they were uh, not exactly taking the $20 million seriously. They probably cashed the check, but uh, when they were making their podcasts, they apparently didn't show up, had producers like what I do at Sirius interview the likes of Serena Williams and other powerful people like that. Then they intercut uh, Meghan Markle's uh, voice and everything (laughs) later, which, well, let me tell you, that's a very hard thing to do and very time consuming. So not awesome. Some producer got fucked on that one. I know. Oh, my God. Thank God Spotify's union. So they're a little bit more protective (laughs) than I would be. But uh, yeah, so the deal ends and uh, they're looking for new distributors. So I'm pretty sure the last week of uh, speculation about what they've done under their deal is going to make that market a little bit different. But what does this kind of say about the entire podcast industry on trying to get stars to raise all boats and have it very much come crashing down? Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's two things I took from this. A is the, you know, I think the ceiling people ran into with the podcast format just in general. Like there was a couple years ago when you thought this was going to be the, you know, the takeover of everything and of how people consume media. Not necessarily the case. There's, you know, like a lot of different ways it can go. And also a thousand million fucking people started podcasts. So you know, it is what it is. We weren't all Mark Marin and started, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. And and so I think they ran into a bit of that. But the biggest highlight of this for me was kind of the how I, I feel like personal moxie has seemingly been their downfall. And I think it's like the same reason you see people leave bands, make solo records and go back to the band. 
is because after a little while they realize they need the thing behind them, you know, and and that's where the interest was generated and what people see you as, and they were famous because of the thing, because they were raised and married within the British royal family, and in that context, they were very interesting, and uh, I think when you take yourself out of that thing and you try to stand on your own two feet and be like, why shouldn't I be a podcast? Those, why can't I say these important things? And you realize, Oh, no one actually gives a shit about us. They gave a shit about the thing. And now we're not in the thing and we don't have the machine anymore. So I think people often can convince themselves that it's them and it's their singular unique abilities that are making something float. When, it's potentially really the other way around. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a that's an interesting take on it because you know, like the entire time, you know, they've tried to, and we've seen these people in the political sphere try to get into the content business. Uh, you know, the Obamas are in it; they're in yeah. it, and they're not exactly. I don't think just because you have a big respected figure, it doesn't exactly mean that people when they're relaxing after a long day of work are, are going to want to sit down and hear you pontificate. Yeah. Or to ironic. say that yeah. you like, and you know, that simple thing that's like, and why do you have the idea that you're immediately going to be great at it? Yeah. You know, like that's the thing that I think people, they, they always want to dip their toes into other stuff and realize that this is why like actors bands never go anywhere. <laughs> You can't dip your toes. You're either in it or you're not in it. These are uh, creative and artistic avenues that take time to get good at, to understand the landscape you're in, what people enjoy, what they don't. And, you know, I guess, you know, you know, paying for the, the best producers, you know, money can buy, I'm sure kind of, you know, streamlines that A to B. But, uh, you know, it's also a little... Like I said, the, they're suffering from their own moxie, you know. Ryan Gosling's Dead Man's Bone was a good one, though. Like the only, like, like the rare one that like was a celebrity band, but like it was like okay, pretty cool, kind of slap. But that that's different because that's someone just like doing an album. Yeah, like I'm an actor who did an album, yeah. but I'm not trying to be a full time musician. Right. No, you know, right. that's like a different story. Like. Like you can dip your toes. Like I like to see Tom Waits show up in movies. He's great in every little bit in a movie he shows up in. Do I want to see Tom Waits like carry a film like Tom Hanks? Do I want to see him as like Tom Hanks in Philadelphia? No, of course not. You know, so you just gotta. You can dance in other avenues, but just don't. You can't take yourself too seriously right off the bat. You know. Oh man, I will. I'd love to see Benny in, in in a film coming up soon. If 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 my people can get in touch with your people, we can hammer out the deal. I would do it. <laughs> I would do it. Let's just say. All right. Shall we move to the association? Please. We got a lot to yeah, talk about. We got a lot. Goodness gracious. To. The Denver Nuggets are your 2023 NBA champs. I know we're in the heart of the offseason right now, but Bruce Brown. Uh, they, they defeated the Miami Heat uh, game five in a gentleman's sweep. Love to see it. The celebration, let me tell you, I was cutting up some of the video that we had for a serious, like live on the court and in the locker room. Unbelievable stuff there. Um, Nikola Jokic uh, rode atop a fire truck after complaining about not wanting to be at the parade. <laughs> yeah, now he's yeah. like, oh, I just want to stay at the parade and go to Vegas. I don't think he quite knew what came with winning a championship in the NBA, but it's Ibiza, it's Vegas, it's a parade, it's all the fun things. But to the actual business on the hardwood itself, uh, Jokic and Denver ended a 47-year drought, um, and Denver secured their first championship. So great run by Denver. Um, how will you look back at Jokic, and how will this entire season for them be remembered? Well, there's a couple things I look at. First is something we've talked about a bunch on this, which was... Sometimes we have to learn how to celebrate excellence when it's happening. And we all were watching the Nuggets for the most part with a little hiccup towards the end of the season. Uh, just mow through people during the regular season when healthy. Had the, the best record in the NBA for the bulk of the season. Were first in the West for the bulk of the season. Uh, and then had an incredible record in the playoffs where they were essentially 
you know, what they lose four games in the entire playoffs and stuff like that. So they did it and they did it in convincing fashion and they were there the whole year. They, they made it in the bubble. Um, it, it shouldn't have been as big of a surprise as it was. Right. And in hindsight, uh, this thing was really clicking and really working for a while now. And, and maybe it's cause it was the nuggets. Maybe it's cause it was Jokic and, you know, it wasn't getting the appropriate amount of clicks. Uh, we probably weren't talking about it enough. That was clear. Um, and another thing I think it did, and this seemingly happened somewhere around the conference finals, which was like everybody finally culturally admitting Jokic into like the club. Because <laughs> even though he had won two straight MVPs in the, the years prior, uh, no one knew who the fuck he was, why he was winning MVPs, what was so impressive about his game. They just saw his face and his haircut and his body and didn't really get it. Uh, and he wasn't, with the exception of some people who were really, you know, like the Jokic positive chorus, uh, he wasn't looked at like uh, Joel Embiid or Giannis or fuck, even like, you know, Carl Anthony Towns or someone. He, he, for some reason, culturally wasn't being put on that level. And somewhere around the conference finals, early in the conference finals, I felt like he got dubbed into the club. And it was like, Win or lose, now everyone knows exactly how good he is. This run he made up until that point cements the fact that he is one of the greatest. And in that kind of Dirk Nowitzki way, I, I'm happy to see him at least get one. So the conversation moving forward and him being in the Pantheon is not murky water. It's very clear, uh, which is nice just for people who obsess and talk about the narrative all the time <laughs> let me tell you when you guys play riot fest in september and you know how people like to show up with their jerseys or shirts and stuff like that or any sort of festival that you guys play maybe more so at, at, at bourbon fest than the riot fest the number of Jokic jerseys you're gonna see because it's starting already i was in the city the other day nice day hot day in the park all these white dudes with the Jokic jersey. Oh, and, and it's it's okay. more so than when Giannis won the championship. These guys are into the Jokic. And I think it's it, it, it's an interesting coronation that, that, that we do because we've all because normally it's the build up to the teardown, because people have tore down Jokic before, this build up isn't so hyped. I guess you would say as, as some of the other guys that have gone down sure. down this path before, but I, I think the, the the hoop heads and the people that that watch the league every day see Jokic and, and they're like, okay, there's a run. It, it looks like it's going to continue. I know they have a couple of free agency things that we're going to talk about in a, a, a little bit, but they look at this as a sustainable guy to back for the next few years, especially with him and Mary sticking together. Yeah, and beyond that, can we talk quickly about that fucking flex the Nuggets did <laughs> during the finals by trading into the draft yeah. while the finals were still going on? So, I mean, you know, they were so convinced before the finals were even over that this core that they had is the core moving forward. They're doing the numbers and they're like, you know what? We're not getting free agents in here. We're not getting. So we got to get some kids to supplement this roster and start making trades to get into the back end of the draft before the finals is even over because they know this is the way that they can sustain uh, like a dynasty. And they're almost yeah. telling you right off the bat, we're not pleased with this one. We got these guys young. We got them locked up. This is our core. And the Nuggets are going to be around for many years. I find that interesting. So as we speak, the draft was on Thursday night, last night. And last season, last draft, uh, the Nuggets took Christian Brown. And 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 he had a, a, a big role in one 21st game pick, right? during the finals. Yeah, That's 20, right. 21st pick. And it's different watching the draft, seeing different teams' tactics. You know, the people that want the guy that can win now. Um, and, and that, that they can plug into a high pressure spot and, and the guys that uh, want a guy who they think can develop into the star. It's funny to me that that's never the same guy. 
Like, like you'd think the guy mm. that you can plug and play would be the guy that can develop into the star, but it doesn't seem to work that way. But, you know, Denver doing all the, all the right moves, and they, they made quite a few picks on, on draft night to try to bolster that, that roster. So um, I think Bruce Brown declined his, his player option and, and will did. be an unrestricted did. free agent. So um, I like, you know, if, if you look at, at the landscape of, of the Western Conference, I don't see a they're going to be the favorites when the season starts. Oh, despite yeah. what happens clear elsewhere, clear favorites. I yeah. think uh, I think there's going to be some outliers talking about the sun. So I'm sure we'll get into the trades yeah. a little. But no, I think Nuggets are the clear favorite, probably in the NBA moving yeah. forward. 100 percent. Well, let's get into some of these moves, shall we? And there yeah. was no bigger move. Uh, we talked about the Suns, then Chris Paul. Uh, move in multiple locations. So he started out last, last time we spoke to you. He was a Phoenix son. We all knew that uh, we've yeah. seen the finals run. We've seen all that stuff. Then he was traded to Washington in the Bradley Beal deal. Bradley Beal now joining uh, the Phoenix Suns. So if you're keeping track at home, it's going to be Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal. That's the new big yeah. three. Chris uh-huh. Paul was in Washington by being traded to Washington. That, uh, he his salary as part of a kicker got bumped up 15 more dollars so I'm, I'm sure he was sad to leave but that, that was a yeah. nice going going away present sure then with chris paul a few days later uh the golden state warriors made a move trading jordan pool a 2030 first round pick a 2027 second round pick uh to the warriors in exchange, Chris Paul joined Steph Curry and the Splash Brothers up there. So let's start here. What do you make, and do you think CP will stick with them in the Bay? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, part of the reason he's there is the expiring contract mm-hmm. um, for a number of reasons. It's it's a low-risk move in that kind of way. So they're literally swapping what seemingly on Golden State could be one of the worst contracts in the NBA with an expiring. So just on a financial, you know, reason, that's why that happened. One thing that confuses me a little about this is like, if you're the Phoenix Suns, are you better off just training Chris Paul for Jordan Poole? Straight up. And not dealing with all this and not getting into the Brad Beal sweepstakes and even further forsaking your future, you know, like uh, maybe that would have been a nice, nice mix up there. Like that confused me a little about, how far they went out for for Bradley Beal and how Chris Paul got tossed around. But as far as the fits with the teams, I mean, this Suns thing is tricky, you know? And and I don't know if I've ever seen a team more in on a a, a core of players than they're in. And and it's got a high upside to it, but shit, if that's not a team that, you know, these pick swaps that they gave away going into 26, 28, 30. Like, do I think this team is going to be like competing for championships with this core at that time? Nah, no, I don't. Um, so I think I don't know what to take away with Bradley Beal at this point, what kind of player he is, because the things he's going to be asked to do in Phoenix are far different than what he's been carrying in Washington. but. I'm not that optimistic about that trade. And I don't know with the thinness of their roster, really what that leaves them next year. New coach, a uh, bunch of beat up players that, that, that never play a full season. Um, you know, I don't know, like, like as much as I'd like to be like, Oh, great big three. Forgive me for being like Pavlov's NBA fan and not trusting the super team dynamic anymore. It doesn't seem to work all the time. So I'm not really sure what to make of that, especially once the details of the trade went through and you saw how much capital Washington actually got. As far as Chris Paul going to the Warriors, you know, I think we're talking about it a lot in the sense of why the Warriors brought in Chris Paul. When I think the context is probably more why the Warriors needed to get rid of Jordan Poole. And what was available to them in that in that aspect? I mean, I think they hit it about as well as they could last year about one of your best players punching one of your best players in the face in the preseason and then trying to go through a season like that. Um, 
the Jordan Poole contract, the Jordan Poole career in Golden State was on its way out and got a knife put into it when Draymond Green punched him. Um, so I think, you know, that's a lot of the context was what was available to them to get rid of Jordan Poole. And to them, they brought in somebody who, you know, maybe not necessarily on paper works with the Warriors, but if there's anything the Warriors have needed over the course of the last, uh, I don't know, the, the last decade has been what do we do when Steph Curry's not on the court? And now you have a, a 38-year-old Hall of Famer who can get your offense set, who can get the ball in the right people's hands in the right places, make a big shot from time to time. And you know what? Take a lot of minutes off of his legs, a lot of games off of his back, and you know, fit him into a more complimentary role. And I think this is the Warriors kind of being like, you know what? We have one or two more years with the of a window with with these guys. Clay's on an expiring. We don't know what's happening with Dre. He's regressing a little bit. Steph is getting to the other side of his 30s. So I think they're just going for it now. And Jordan Poole was literally almost not playing in key playoff games, like towards the end of that series. So uh, it's a nice shakeup. And as a basketball fan, I love to see the pairing of, you know, Steph Curry, who is, you know, uh, being, uh, you know, Chris Paul is a mentor to Steph Curry. And then, you know, obviously they were competitors for years with, with, with different squads with the Clippers and the Rockets. And now they're teammates. And I think it could work out great. Does it feel good to be on a the other side of a deal where you send pick swaps for the next decade? <laughs> yes, I love <laughs> now watching the Suns lose in the playoff and mortgage their future for super unpredictable players. Yeah, it's fun to watch. <laughs> it's nice to not be the one. Um, and and I, you know, to to not bring it up w- would be silly. I think the Wizards are doing a fantastic job of tearing down the roster. They're doing what should have been done years ago, uh, watching his team win 38 to 41 games every year and never having a chance has been really frustrating. And I think they've brought back a lot of interesting contracts, younger players, draft picks, the youth movements in full swing. And I think they're actually going to be a little better than people uh, are going to make them out to be next year. Yeah, and you mentioned the Wizards. They made a another deal, and, and I think that this was arguably the most interesting deal that happened. So the Wizards traded Kristaps Porzingis. Here, let's let's lay out the whole thing. The Celtics added Porzingis, and a, and uh, they dealt Marcus Smart in a three-team deal. Boston got Kristaps Porzingis, a twenty twenty. Three first round pick that was the 25th pick and a 2024 first round pick via Golden State. Uh, the Wizards they added Danilo Gallinari, Mike Muscala, uh, Tyus Jones, and a 2023 second round pick. And the Memphis Grizzlies got Marcus Smart, which Marcus Smart to be the cool head in the John Morant list locker room in the first 25 games for your. Uh, the Grizzlies next season, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Love that move for them. Hate Kristaps Porzingis as a member of the Boston Celtics. I don't think when you give up a guy defensively like Marcus Smart and what he meant to that team and you add him for a guy who, let's be honest, has a shaky injury history in Kristaps Porzingis when he's on. Yeah, he could be the, the, uh, the third head on the three-headed monster up there in Boston. But how often are you going to get that? I don't know. And on the Wizards front there, I like what they brought back. Uh, have been a big fan of Tyus Jones for a while. And I, I really thought that Mike Mescala was going to make a big difference for the Celtics this postseason. Liked what he was doing in OKC. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you with Memphis. Um, you know, I think bringing in smart especially like when you think of it in the context of the the rosters they're going to be throwing out there. They didn't need any more kids. They still have a lot of uh, players from the last two, three years of drafting that have upside to get better and have shown signs that they could get better. And they needed immediate help. And the idea of a team going out there with John Morant, Marcus Smart, 
Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Steven Adams. I mean, that's a fun starting five, and that could be like the restart of the Memphis grit and grind kind of thing going on, you know, like that's a lot of fucking defense. Um, that's a lot of toughness. Uh, it's an adult in the room who has seemingly tons and tons of respect for most of his peers in the league. So I think, um, as far as that goes, it's a swing for Memphis talent wise and what they gave up. But Tyus Jones is on the last year of his contract. I think they knew that he's going to get, close to starting point guard money at some point. And uh, that was part of the reason for the deal too. I am not as sour on the Celtics side of this as you are. I think that they needed to take some kind of swing. Um, Obviously what was going on with the group they had wasn't exactly working out the way it should. And they've dropped the ball in a couple big games and big series over the last few years. And I do think Going into next season without taking some kind of major swing would have been a mistake. I think Chris Stapps had one of the better years of his career last year as far as staying healthy, being on the court, knowing exactly how you can help a basketball team without being like a number one. Uh, and I think he's learned a lot over the last few years as far as that's concerned, kind of being you know, embarrassed and traded out of situations where you're supposed to be the savior of two different teams and you got traded out of those cities. And I think, uh, I think Chris Stapps might look at this as like a new lease on life. And I actually fit wise, as far as putting him in the mix with, uh, a, a guard heavy team, Derek white, obviously in line for more minutes than he was last year. And then the, you know, the, the, the digression of Al Horford, like you had to do something, with the perimeter in Boston. And I think this was a really interesting uh, swing to take. And and I, I'm actually for it. I think it could be one of those trades that's mutually beneficial for each team. For Chris Stapp's sake, I hope so. I think he's he, he's a guy who has had a, a lot of potential, but you, you got to cash in some of, of those checks. But I don't know. Dude, I like we, we were texting about this Porzingis trade and I he's just I don't know if it's a listen I'm, I'm not going to question any, anybody's work ethic here the Boston Celtics and Brad Stevens did what they had to do uh you know they had two men Brogdon had, had to be on the way out like they had to make it so that it was uh Derek White having those Marcus Smart minutes but man like they could have got a uh, uh one of the Morris brothers it, I think it was Marcus Morris um, and gave up a, a lot less. I don't know. I, I think that would have been the better move. Let, let me ask right. you this question, okay? Yeah. If I theoretically were not telling you the player I was talking about, right? Yeah. And I was just like, hey, you're going to get a guy who's like seven foot one, average 23 points on 50% shooting, 38.5% from three, 85% from the line with one and a half blocks a game and eight and a half rebounds a game at that height in that age, would you be like, Oh wow, that's somebody Boston should add. In the comparison between the two players, what is the number of games played and what's the number of games started? He played 65 games last year. Okay. So, And, and that's for a team that I think, you know, if they were competing, he probably would have been 70 plus. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, you got to take swings. Sometimes people put it together to, you know, there was a time Brooke Lopez yeah, couldn't, sure. couldn't stay on the floor more than 10, 20 games a year because of his feet and then hit his late 20s, figured out his body, figured out his role and had another 10 years of his career, you know? And I think you got to take a bet on the upside of something like that if you're a team like Boston. All right. Well, Brad, I, I hope that this pans out for you. I would love to see it because it him a a a, a pristine marquee version of Kristaps going up against Brooke Lopez, I think would be very, very fun. Yeah, no, I think I think it's I love to see it, honestly, and I'm excited to see it. I think it's gonna be interesting. Well, speaking of interesting, should we move to the move to the John Moran stuff that we referenced earlier, real quick? Sure. We quick. always he always quick. almost run out, out out of time for John Morant, like he's Matt Damon on yeah. uh, Jimmy Kimmel. 
Uh, but John Morant has been suspended 25 games to start the 2023-2024 NBA season. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies and the NBA working in lockstep, uh, talking about what they expect from Ja to get back. Uh, the the interesting development in, in the story since the thing first came down, the NBA Players Association does not love the fact that John Morant has to prove to the NBA and to the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, has to go through a, a step program, has to clear hurdles to get back. Uh, what, what do you make of this era of the NBA where uh, guys make a, a mistake, head to a program like this, and then have to clear hurdles to get back to playing. Do you think that's because of his age, or do you think that that's because he's a repeat offender at this point? Yeah, I think it's a repeat offender, and I think we're seeing for the first time Adam Silver being butthurt, right? Like, this is personal now. Adam Silver kind of went light on John Morant the first time. He took a very caring, grandfatherly approach, like, this is what we're doing. We're going to get him all the help he needs, anything he needs. And then we talked about this. Like you don't spend eight days somewhere and come back and you're fine. Everybody knew it. And I think what happened behind the scenes was I think Adam Silver must've had assurances, assurances from the team, from John Morant's camp, from all these people. They won't happen again. We got to change kid here. We got all this stuff. And I think he took that and went light. And then it happened again kind of making him look like an asshole. So I think, you know, the 25 games, the things he has to do to prove himself back, I think it was because of that. It was it was because, you know, it was a very public and kind of gross thing. And, and uh, you know, he had a chance to rebuild his image. He said the right things for a couple days and then fucking blew it again. And is also every time he's done this, kind of taken the wrong tone. Right. Where he he comes off like a victim almost every time he does one of these things as if he's being persecuted uh, rather than doing anything wrong. So I think that's a lot to do with it. I really do. Um, I think a lot of the penalty we're seeing right now is Adam Silver's inability to trust the fact that uh, it's going to change. Well, make no mistake. He does think he's a victim. It's been leaked that his camp thinks that the NBA and the owners and Adam Silver are rooting against him, that they're trying to make him fail when that is so unbelievably the opposite of what's happening here. USA basketball wants both him and Zion Williamson to be the face of this thing going forward. And they both keep tripping over their own feet. It's crazy. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's nuts. And I mean, listen, they want him to play. Everybody knows it. He's a, he's an otherworldly talent. I just saw a stat the other day that he was, I think second in the in the last three years of the NBA, John Morant is second in interior scoring. Second for that size. He's an insane player. They want him out there, but they just can't get, you know, made to be total fools like yet again. Um, and I think the 25 games was also a clear smack where it's like we talked about this on text, like making sure that he is not going to qualify for awards next year. That's a big thing, you know, Um, and if they wanted to be light about it, they would have kept it at, you know, 15 games in order to give him a chance to. So, yeah, they're making a statement. But in this case, they probably should have hit him in in the pocketbook and then we'll see. Does anyone still use the word pocketbook anymore? Jesus Christ, man. Not sure. Um, Not sure. (laughs) A little antiquated, man. Hit him in the pocket and we'll see how he... Hit him in the Cash App app. Uh, 100%. Hit him in the Cash app. Shout out to Zion Williamson. And his hit him in the hit him in the crypto bucket. I don't know what in you the say crypto now. Bucket. Yeah, who's that? Uh, Spencer. Spencer was big in <laughs> yeah. the crypto yeah. bucket. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, last story today, Benny, and it's a happy trails to Michael Jordan and his Charlotte Hornets ownership. Uh, Michael Jordan has agreed to sell his majority stake in Charlotte Hornets to a group led by Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnell. Uh, the team announced on Friday. Those two names I just mentioned, billionaire names, if I've ever heard them. Uh, Rick Schnell, billionaire. Checks out. Uh, the transaction ends Jordan's 13-year run as majority owner. 
Um, Schnell is a minority owner with the Atlantic Hawks, and uh, Plotkin was already a minority owner with the Hawks as well. They will become the franchise's co-governors once the NBA completes its vetting process. Again, uh, Jordan will continue to oversee basketball operations through next Thursday's NBA or through last night's NBA draft and even had a hand in the uh, Charlotte Hornets selecting Brandon Miller, number two. So do you think that this is the end of Michael Jordan's involvement in the NBA? No, nah, sounds like it's not. I think, you know, it sounds like a financial decision and, and a good time to do it. And, you know, hasn't exactly been the best thing for his brand over these years. So I think it's more about that. And I think Jordan is potentially going to be more visible in the NBA without this ownership stake. I think he might be more vocal and more visible because of it. So, no, I don't think it's the end. I think LeBron James should take notes on what a ownership legacy. Yes, is he cashing out to the tune of almost $3 billion on something I think he paid close to $250 million for? Sure. But has it taken a bite out of the air that is Jordan's last dance? Listen, if this Hornets ownership goes well and we're looking at Michael Jordan as the same kind of owner as like Dr. Buss, I don't think we see a Jordan last dance, to be quite honest with you. He, He needed that. No, like people... 30 and younger that didn't grow up during the dominance of Jordan. They look at him as the shoe and the owner of the Hornets and Hornets have not been synonymous with winning. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, yeah. Yeah. You might be right. This is definitely, but LeBron is, I don't know. He's not going to do it like this. Yeah, that's true. LeBron, LeBron is, is, is wise. Yeah. He's got the beard for a reason, you know? Him and uh, what's his name that used to own the Bucks, Lassery, are, are going to team up to bring it to Vegas, and it's just going to absolutely destroy everything that I love. All right, we going to rapid fire the draft or no? Uh, what biggest winner of the draft, Benny Horowitz? I think the biggest winner of the draft are the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, me too. Like you got to take the guy. I think the Hornets blew it not taking Scoot. Uh, you know, when you're a team as bad as the Hornets, the idea of positional fit shouldn't even come into your brain. Um, you just need to, to, to put good assets in the same place. Uh, I think Portland made the right moves by trying to supplement this team and give them a chance to play around, uh, to play around Lillard. I love what the thunder did. Uh, on Wallace, a perfect thunder guy. Houston had a great draft with Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore slipping to them and the Pistons talk about positional versatility, bringing a Thompson into that mix. Those are my winners. Big winner overtime elite. Cause I have no idea oh, yeah. what level of basketball those twins have been playing, but I don't think it was up to like peak college basketball or, or G league standard. No, no I, no. I like what Portland did as well. Um, I think, you know, Chris is going to be a a big addition there. Scoot too. They have a a, a lot of pieces that are very much intriguing. Um, Houston, interesting with Cam Whitmore. I'm not exactly sure how his game is going to transition to the next level. Had a bit of a a decent season, kind of up and down with injury at Villanova. Watch him a bunch. But uh, are we we really going to go this whole podcast without talking about Wembenyama to San Antonio and, you know, a, a interesting team there yeah. in uh, Keldon Johnson, uh, Wemby, just a, a, a real interesting situation. How long do you think we start seeing some results from Pop and Wemby down there in San Antonio? I mean, the thing is, you know, as good as any of these players are, Often kids don't affect winning, yeah. even when they do have, you know, like uh, excellent, you know, uh, players coming in. I mean, LeBron didn't win the first couple of years. Jordan didn't win the first couple of years. But the interesting thing, as you mentioned, is the Spurs have some some interesting pieces in place already. You know, you're adding him to Jeremy Sohan and Devin Vassell and uh Keldon Johnson and Zach Collins. So you already have a bit of a youth core there. And I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised and I don't think it would be a bad idea for San Antonio to 
to, to, to make a couple small mid-level signings that actually, you know, maybe get, get them a run at the play-in or something like that. Like, why would you waste time with this kid? I think you got enough pieces there where it could affect winning now. Not a championship, but at least get on the other side of the 500, you know? Um, so I do think the Spurs, it makes an instant impact. I'm not sure about how much on offense, but at least at the very least, this guy's going to board and block shots from the day he enters the NBA. So, uh, yeah, I think the Spurs obviously got a million times better and their future looks bright, but I would like to see them spend a, a little money this off season on a couple veteran signings to just kind of actually put a roster together that, that might be able to surprise some people. I hear you. Donis Haslam's available. If Wemby <laughs> wants a vet. <laughs> All right. Great, but anyways, man. to get in contact with the show, you can email us at the tune podcast at gmail.com two P's in there. Follow us on all the social platforms, the tune up HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Be sure to subscribe tune up HQ on YouTube. And thank you for watching today. Uh, he is at Benny Horowitz on Instagram. I'm at Denny Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Oh, everybody love everybody. Come on. Was I too hard on Christoph Brzingis? The show is over. Go in peace. You've been listening to and watching the tune up.